pray together. Heavenly Father, open our hearts by your Spirit that we would raise our heads and be counted among the children of the city of God to, to welcome you in to our lives and welcome others into the kingdom where there is a harvest that is growing. We pray your words would fall upon us this day and unravel the mysteries that we hold in our hearts, the depths, that you would reach in and pull us up. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we continue again this week with the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Your illustrious professor, my illustrious professor last week, did a wonderful job in preaching. But just picture, if you will, with my crude words, that we're on the front row seat looking over the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is speaking to us. And, you know, it's always helpful when someone is speaking to us that we have a wide open expanse that we can perhaps expand our minds in. And that's, that's kind of the view that, that I have overlooking the Sea of Galilee in this picture we have. And, and as we hear Jesus' words spoken with authority, he is pronouncing blessings over people, over people like you and I who are marginalized, who are not of the caliber and quality that perhaps the world is, is looking for. And as Dr. Peter Walker, as I speak, spoke of, brilliantly preached last week, we live in a world that has sort of redefined the state of being blessed. Don't you hear that a lot? I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. Why are you so blessed? I'm just blessed. I'm blessed when I'm in the fast lane. I'm blessed when I find a better way or a loophole around the standard. I'm blessed when I get ahead of others. Well, it's true. When you live in New Jersey and you're driving around, you want to get ahead of others. But I'm blessed when I'm on the path for more money, more power, more satisfaction. You see the pattern here? The patterns of this world, the pronouncing and receiving of blessings are all coming from the same person. <laughs> I, me. We live in a world of syncretism, a simple word that's basically a, a confusing state. It's a muddled worldview that is an amalgamation of different religions, cultures, schools of thought, and it's a blending or a watering down where the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes one of many streams of belief, all flowing in the same direction. Well, wouldn't it be a frightening world if the kingdom of heaven had nothing, nothing to distinguish it from other beliefs? If there were no way to find God without the use of our senses, the, the, the taste that we have, what we see with our eyes, what we hear with our ears, we would be perhaps eternally lost with no identity or purpose or final home. It's a pretty bleak picture. You remember the, uh, the book, Go Dog Go, the children's book by P.D. Eastman, 
I used to love that book. It was all about dogs of all shapes, colors, and sizes, all heading in one direction. And the reader just turns the page like, what are these people up to? Dogs, sorry. And some are helping others get there. Some are coming alongside and helping others come to this tree that they're all headed to. And some others are selfish for reasons because they've got personal preference. I do not like that hat. Remember? I love, I I just, I read a recent post that said this. My ability to remember movie lines or song lyrics from the 80s far exceeds my ability to remember why I even walked into the kitchen. (laughs) That is so like me. So our lives can be so mechanical, so driven, and yet it's like we are drifting like castaways. And we hear these words from Scripture. We love because He first loved us. But in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is speaking to the church in Ephesus through John. He says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Well, enough of this despair and gloom. The good news is is that we worship, and we need to be reminded that we worship a living, resurrected God who still speaks today. And by His Spirit, He still comes to redeem those who have become lost. And in His Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lifts those up. Lifts those up whose heads are down, who are poor in spirit, who know their help comes from the Lord. And he goes on to list their lives. Despite their earthly circumstances, to be poor in spirit, to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness, they are God's chosen people. We are God's chosen, called people. And he's giving them, he's giving us a title, a seat, a voice in the kingdom of heaven. What greater power, what greater love is this? Only a belief that we are lost but freely saved sinners can create a joyful yet awe-filled assurance of his saving love. That was from Tim Keller. And so how, in response to this grace, how are these new citizens of the kingdom of heaven, how are they to live in light of this in what Jesus speaks in verses 13 through 20 today. How are we to live? We are to be doers of the word of God, not just hearers, but to be faith in action. It was William Wallace who said, every man dies, not every man really lives. And the message for them and us today is to awaken and recover this sense of Christian community by welcoming Encouraging one another into the kingdom of heaven by simply being basic elements that we take for granted every day, salt and light. If I had to pin a song on today's gospel lesson, it would be, let it be. Let it be who you are in Christ because you are, he says, the salt of the earth and the light in the world, of the world. If you're in Christ, you are in the light. And I love that hymn. That's just perfect. 
you know, we, we, the first readings today, of course, Harsham should be the wardrobe mistress. I mean, I mean, I got lost in all those names, and, and David, you did a great job, and, and then Corinthians talks about how simple things are, but I didn't get any simplicity until we sang that hymn. I just want to be in the light of Christ. I just want to be a child of God. Because you are salt of the earth and light in the world, he wants his disciples to share the good news of God's grace in such a way that it would rub off on others. And so the audience that's listening to Jesus speak these words would have clearly understood these analogies that we take for granted. Salt, salt, big deal. Light, flip the switch, it's all perfect. But salt, on a deeper level, is a preservative it's a flavor enhancer. You know, in, in those days, any meat would have to be rubbed with salt immediately to, to stop its decay or rotting. You don't, you don't place meat on one side of the table and then put the salt on the other and say, I hope, hope y'all get along fine. It's, you have to rub the salt into the meat to give it flavor and to preserve it. Did you know that Roman soldiers in the day of Jesus were given a bag of salt each week? In return is their payment each day. It was called the salarium. And that's where we get the Latin root of the word salary from. Soldiers who did a good job were said to be worth the salt that they earned. How about that? There was value in salt. And if we are salt, then we are to be rubbed into the world to stop its decay. To preserve it. One commentator said the reason we haven't exchanged total nuclear holocaust is because that there are people in this world that want to preserve life we apply the gospel by living it out we extend the grace that has already been given to us by giving it away to others and i think it's interesting too that jesus says if salt lose its saltiness, I was thinking about that. What happens when salt loses its saltiness? If you had a saltine cracker, you just scrape off whatever is not so good and just pour more salt on it, right? It's not that simple. It's believed to be that when salt is exposed to the air, then all these other chemicals and impurities get in the salt. They're blended. They're syncretistic. And Jesus may have meant that if you lose your saltiness, then you're compromising you're diminishing your ability to be the distinctive seasoning and preservative that I want you to be. You are the salt of the earth. And you are the light of the world. What's the purpose of light? The purpose of light is to illuminate, to bring light into the darkness. Think of David running from his son, running from his enemies in a dark, deep cave, speaking these words in Psalm 119. Your word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path, helping me so clearly to see the path ahead and to avoid obstacles. Let it be your light that shines when you Meet people where they are, on the street, your encounter. Listen to what their hearts are saying as well as their words. Body language. A tear. You remember the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? 
Merry Christmas, Emporium. Merry Christmas, you wonderful old building and loan. Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter? Mr. Potter would be given a Merry Christmas. Why do we love this film so much? Many of us, I believe, because we've lost a sense of community. Now, don't blame TVs and air conditioners just because that's what keeps us isolated and inside all the time, but don't we want to live in a town like Bedford Falls when Jimmy Stewart comes back, George Bailey comes back, and he's on fire, something's happened in his life, he's been transformed as if he had never lived, he's living now. We want to live in a town that makes room for the Uncle Billies of the world who just need a little extra help. We want good to triumph over evil. We want to see George Bailey outfox bullies like Henry Potter, the richest and meanest man in the county, over and over again. It's George Bailey, it's Jesus Christ particularly who becomes salt and light in this world and he says you are my disciples now go therefore and be salt and light because his sacrifices for others imitating Christ being there for your brother your sister your family your community let it be allow yourselves to be salt and light by being this constant preservative and illumination which is so countercultural to the world today. Salt is meant to be rubbed in. Jesus engaged the world. He didn't say, stick your head back in a monastery and stay there. He said, grow in me and go out. And light is meant to be seen. You know, the city on the hill that is lit for the Sea of Galilee, which would be shrouded in fog, could see the light piercing through and say, there's safety. There's where I need to be. But above all, he says, this is so good, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's almost like a precursor to the Lord's Prayer. Your Father, our Father. He's saying that you have been created in my image for a purpose, which is to magnify my glory. We are to make his glory brighter for someone, for his works to be seen. And what a great honor that Jesus would call us into the kingdom building business with him. And he says he hasn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And that's why people say, well, I'm just staying in the New Testament, but the same God who is slow to anger, always merciful, always ready to listen more than we are to ask. We hear it in Isaiah, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And even in Jeremiah, he speaks of the new covenant to come in Jesus for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity 
then I will remember their sin no more. Is that Jesus? Is that the Messiah? But disciples are called to be standouts. That's kind of scary, isn't it? I don't know if I want to be a standout. I don't know if I want to be the rub. Not as the world sees as entertainment value, but as exemplary witnesses to the radical transformation of God's saving grace that comes into our lives when we ask and we open. So let's bring it home. Let's ask some questions of ourselves. If someone spent a day with you or with me, would they get a taste of God's joy rubbing off our lives into theirs? I mean, if we're, if we're walking around with blinders saying, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And not looking up to the Lord and saying, how shall I live in response to your love? Are we naturally reflecting the light of Christ around us? He's here. Would they see Christ's preserving character and good works in me? Why would a non-Christian want what I've got if I'm not any different, if I don't stand out or become attractive compared to what the world offers? Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would have your way with us as we submit that we would be shaken and poured out as living sacrifices. Use us, Lord to be salt and light. Let us, in response to the joy of knowing you, being freed of our sins and being forgiven and enslaved, we are now set free and we have eternal life to look forward to. And so, Lord, let our countenance, let our joy be the radiance around us that is light and salt in this decaying and dark world. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.